what we're focusing on is who am I? Uh, uh, the question of our identity in Christ. Who am I in Christ? And so we started last week with the reality that we are chosen, that we are helplessly, hopelessly lost, and that God has called us, He has chosen us to come to Him. And uh, today we are going to look at the, the picture that you know, we are justified. You are justified. And for those of you who may not have heard it quite this way, was the idea that people say, I am justified, just, if, just as if I had never sinned. And uh, that's how Christ looks at us. So, uh, we'll be looking at Romans uh, chapter 5. And uh, initially that was the, the reading uh, that we had scheduled for today, but uh, I'm going to use it as the message as well. So, if you join me in Romans chapter 5, starting with verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him that, uh, from the wrath of God. For if while we are enemies, we, are reconciled, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by His life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, that whom we, excuse me, our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received reconciliation. In order to Look at justified. The first thing we have to look at is something that isn't a very popular thing to do, and that's to look at God's wrath. We don't normally think of God. We want to think in terms of God as as you know loving and caring, and 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 that's the focus. And and yet to really appreciate His love, to really to appreciate uh, His choosing us and calling us, and 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 all the other things that we'll be looking at this summer. We have to understand what he has called us from. What he is, uh, what he has, what it means to be justified is to be delivered from his wrath. And so, uh, we're taking a look at that this morning. Is, is that his wrath, his anger towards sin, and it's a righteous wrath. It's a righteous anger. You know, sometimes I, I like to think that I'm capable of a righteous anger. But I will never get it perfect. I will never get it righteous in the truest sense of the word. I uh, am, you know, pro-life, and 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 I I stand in that, and I think I get so frustrated and angry when I think of the different things that are going on in reference to abortion and our and 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 how much we strive to fight against that. We support agencies that fight against that. And you'd like to think that your, your anger at that point is righteous. And maybe that's as righteous as my anger gets. 
But it's still not God's righteousness because I'm far from perfect. I still have sin in my life. And it taints even the things that, that, that I do to serve. And so, God's righteousness is totally perfect. Totally, he is holy. And so, He has a righteous anger over sin. And what is sin? It's missing the mark of God's holiness. Pure and simple. You don't need any complicated definition for sin. God has a standard that He's put forth through the Bible of what holiness is, and then he turns around and says, Be ye holy. I always end up quoting the King James at that one. But be ye holy as I am holy. And as soon as he says that, we're in trouble. The same thing would be to say, Be righteous as I am righteous. And we realize that we fall short. We miss the mark. Now, understand that God's holiness requires that He hates sin and that He judge sin. And I start to think of that and I look at and I have, you know, read through Revelation especially, but God's judgment is a fearsome thing. I, I to say anything less than terrifying would be a miss on my part. Wages of sin is death. Separation from God, separation, you know, and, and death of this body as well, eternal death. Uh, a contemporary uh, teacher of the Word, uh, author of many books, Sam Storms writes, God does not set aside His justice to pour out His mercy on us. Now, we want His mercy. His mercy, that, that favor towards us, that, 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 the grace that He offers us. We want that, but he, and, and God offers it to us, but He still doesn't set aside His justice. His justice must prevail. It must be dealt with. It must be satisfied. And He did it through the cross. He did it through Jesus Christ. Sin was punished at the cross. God's wrath was satisfied. So we understand God is, has a righteous anger towards sin. It's frequently referred to as the wrath of God. It requires that He judge sin. And in His judgment of sin, He cannot escape that. He can't pardon us without doing the judgment on sin. In other words... We, we're seeing in the news, you know, currently uh, all sorts of pardons that the president is offering to some people, and, and some of them we may agree with, some of them we might scratch our head about and say, "Gee, I, you know, the guy didn't do this or didn't do that, or he did do this or he did do that," and we're saying, "But he, he he's the justice is it's not the same thing. God can't do that. He can't pardon the the, the terms of the wages of sin must be paid in." Period. So through the cross, we find that we are justified. Uh, to be justified is to be declared righteous. 
at the point that we are saved, God declares us not guilty. He declares us righteous. He justifies us. Westminster Confession says, What is justification? An act of God's free grace wherein He pardons all our sins and accepts us as righteous in His sight only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. How did that righteousness come? Through the cross. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 For our sake He made Him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Our righteousness comes through our identity in Jesus Christ, through resting in His grace, His mercy, accepting Him as our Savior. Coming back to the the Scriptures this morning, in, in Romans chapter 5, being justified is the result of where we started last week, being chosen. He has chosen us and as a result has justified us. Uh, and what it does is it changes our status. What were we before we were, were, we were chosen and justified? We were enemies of God according to Ephesians. We were dead in our sins. We were enemies of God. Now that we're being called and justified, we are now in peace with God. We're no longer His enemies, but we are actually His family. What a transition. Our status has changed. We, we couldn't approach the throne of God and now we're invited to, to, to live literally at the throne of God. I think of A.W. Tozer and he writes how you know, Jesus didn't go to the cross for us to pass by and look into the Holy of Holies occasionally. He died on the cross that we might dwell there. In Ephesians, or I mean in Romans chapter 5, looking again at verse 6, for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. That's us. We were ungodly. But even before the foundation of the world, God had looked at and, and, and chose us to be His family, His children. And, and, and so before the foundation of the world, He had the plan of salvation put together that Jesus would die for the ungodly. Romans 5.9 Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. We are saved from the wrath of God. How? By the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ died on the cross in order to purchase our salvation. I'm, I'm in a sense, probably you know, the, the, the phrase preaching to the choir here this morning, but the idea is that we need to be sure that we grasp the importance of this. Uh, how often do you think about the reality of who you are in Christ? That's the motivation for offering this series this summer, is to, to look at the various things that, that God calls us in relationship to Him. We are saints. We are the body of Christ. We are the temple of God. So many different things that we'll look at this summer as in, in reference to how we are identified in Christ. 
And there are results of being justified. There's something that happens. You know, and, and so I want to, to, to look at that going back to verses 1 and 2 of chapter 5 of, of Romans. Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There's the, the, we have peace with God. And it's, 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 uh, it's not peace like we normally will think of the term peace. It means that, that we are at peace with God. What we are at, meaning that we, we, are, we can approach His throne and not be in fear of judgment because we have accepted Christ's covering over us. We've come in the blood of Christ to His throne. As a result, we are at peace with God. Things are settled between us and God. We were separate, now we are joined through Christ. We are at peace with God. We are declared righteous through God's justification. We are reconciled to God. Uh, the reconciliation is to settle the, the, the dispute between us and God. It's been taken care of. And it's not a feeling. I, I, I want to make sure that we grasp this. It's not, it, it can be a feeling. It can be emotional. But that's not the basis of it. It's based on a fact that happened. Jesus Christ, the cross, His sacrifice. As a result, we can rest in a, in a fact that Paul tells us further on in the book of Romans in chapter 8, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If we have accepted Christ as our Savior, if we're resting in Christ as, 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 as our Savior, we are no longer under condemnation. In fact, he says there is no condemnation. Do I deserve condemnation? Yes. Have I sinned since I have become a Christian? Yes. Do I, should I receive condemnation for that? I, I, I deserve it. I am still under that, the fleshly life that I'm in. I battle between the flesh and the spirit constantly. Romans chapter 7 talks about that. And, and you get to that point where you might even join Paul and say, wretched man that I am, how am I going to deal with this? Ah, through Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to say, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's not because I've earned it. It's not because I did anything to deserve it. I am helplessly, hopelessly lost without Him. There is nothing I can bring to the throne of Christ, to the altar of our Lord, that would warrant even the consideration of His grace, His mercy, to be justified. In Ephesians, I mentioned this already, Paul said that we were dead, but he also said right after that, we are now alive together with Christ. We were dead, but because of what Christ has done, we are now alive. It's such a different way that we look at things. You know, we don't think of ourselves as, as dead. And I'm very careful with all the different shows on television today to say that we're the walking dead. Uh, but but the, the idea is, is that in a theory, we are. The world is the walking dead. We're, we're already dead in our sins. God's mercy and grace is in a general capacity has been given to us all that we take another breath. 
that anyone takes another breath is God's general mercy and grace. But when he turns around and, and, and says, if you will rest in me, if you will call me Savior, if you will open your eyes and see me as your Lord, he says, I, I will embrace you as my brother, as my sister. So I will, it goes on in Romans, he, he will embrace us as joint heirs. He will share his inheritance. He will share his glory, which we'll look at in just a second. It's not a feeling. It's a fact. It's something that has happened. And it says through, and, and it's, 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 it's important to see things sometimes. It says through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's the full name of Jesus used here. Our Lord Jesus Christ. Our Lord is, is, is in reference to the fact that He is sovereign. He is God in the flesh. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then it says in chapter, and that's John chapter 1, verse 1, and then it says in verse 14, and, and God became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He is God in the flesh. When we accept Christ as our Savior, we don't just say, I'm saved, and then, and, 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 then, and then at some point down the line accept Him as Lord. When we are saved, He is our Lord. Anytime we deny that, anytime we act sovereignly on our own without Him, we deny that. And, and as a result, we are, are sinning. And John tells us uh, in 1 John, he says, Confess your sin. Christ is faithful. He forgives you of your sin. In fact, John chapter, 1 John chapter 2 says, He is our mediator. He's our lawyer. He's the one that stands before the throne of God on our behalf. Constantly there. So He is our Lord. He is our sovereign. He is the one that has authority. It implies that we are His possession. The world is His. Everything is His. Everything was created for Him and by Him. So keep that in mind. He is the Lord, and he and, and, and this next part of it, the Lord Jesus, is that picture of Christ becoming man. And he didn't become kind of man. He fully became man. Philippians says absolutely he emptied himself and became a man, even to the point of death, even to the point of death on a cross. He lived his life in perfect submission to the Father's will. To the ultimate picture that we see that would be the Garden of Gethsemane. Where Jesus wrestles with what is ahead. And people see, you know, I've heard lots of sermons thinking, you know, he was wrestling with the cross and the pain and the suffering in that sense. And, I, and I'm sure that that could be part of it. But what he was wrestling with was the reality that he would experience what is necessary to purchase our sins, and that is separation from the Father. And so in agony, he cries out you know, and, 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 and prays. If there was any way for the cup... By the way, the cup that he's talking about is the cup of wrath. The judgment. 
He says, if there was any way to get through this without having to drink that. In other words, actually become our sin upon uh, on him, our sin on him. Says in, and Paul says in, again in Corinthians that he became sin for us. That we would have this picture of, of, of him saying, if there was any other way, but not my will, but thy will be done. Showing his true, full humanity. Jesus, the sovereign Lord, you know, the Lord becomes flesh, Jesus. And then the third one is Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is a title of His authority as, as the Messiah. God's anointed one. The one that God has appointed to save us. He is noted through that context of Christ as a prophet, as a priest, and as a king. Okay, he's prophet, priest, and king. Boy, do you want to get into a study Hebrews? Ah, plug. <laughs> uh, that Hebrews really gets into that. Three weeks on next, you know, on the twenty seventh. He's the only way to be saved. There is no other name under heaven, but you can be saved according to Acts. Chapter 4, verse 12. And in John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. He is the Christ. He is the Lord, the sovereign God in the flesh, Jesus, Messiah, anointed one, Christ. Through the relationship of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have access to His grace. We're invited into His grace. In fact, look at it. says here, uh, by faith, you know, we have access by faith into His grace in which we stand. That's an important term. It's a point where it says that, that we have a firm footing in His grace. It's not something wobbly. It's not something iffy. It's not something that can melt away suddenly. We are standing in His grace. You can't, you can't take it away from us. It, it's, it's already been given. He's already justified. He's not going to unjustify us. <laughs> you know, we are standing in it. And in the framework of standing in it is that idea that, that, that uh, we have a place permanently in His grace that He has prepared for us. As a result of standing, Romans 8 really does become a reality for us. No condemnation. We are justified. We are adopted in verse 15. In verse 16, chapter 8 of Romans, we are children of God. In verse 17, we are fellow heirs or joint heirs with Jesus Christ. In verses 28 through 30, it says, All things work together for the good of those who are in Christ Jesus. All things. Paul that Paul here in Romans five said, "We rejoice in our sufferings. Why? Because all things work together for the good. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And our hope isn't anything wishy-washy. It's a definitive, absolute statement that God has promised. 
We rest in it. It's not a hope like the world has. It's a hope through Christ. It's, it's a given permanent thing. A definite thing. And hope does not put us to shame. That's the, the reality. Because it's permanent, it's not going to disappoint us. It's not going to put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Romans chapter uh, Romans uh, uh, tells us also that we are we are called well we just read it we are called chosen justified glorified and then it says finally in verse two of chapter five we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God and when you stretch this out and look at the the, the meanings of a couple of these words in the Greek we realize we share in His glory. We share in His glory. We who were dead in sin have been made alive in Christ, chosen, justified, called, uh, made from dead to alive uh, through Christ. And, 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 and it says, now, not only are we going to have all these other things, but we are going to share in His glory. We're going to rest in it. We're going to stand in it. And so we have a reaction to that. He says, we rejoice. Rejoice through Christ and the cross. Rejoice for the fact that it is finished and done. Rejoice that we have been justified through Christ Jesus our Lord. I guess when we look at all of this, we turn around and we say we can't help but look at the cross and realize that it's the central figure of all of this. We're going to sing for communion when I survey the wondrous cross. Uh, and, and, and I remind you, and I've had people over the years, you know, we're, we're, we're just kind of catty corner across you know, over here from the Catholic Church, and people have come here sometimes by, by mistake even, and, and they look and, and they see an empty cross, and they're, they're a little confused. But it's a great opportunity to share that Christ isn't on the cross. Don't, I, I want to be really careful. Because someone noticed that I actually have own, and it's in my office in my desk drawer, a crucifix. Sometimes something to ponder on and to look on. But this is the reality. This is where my life rests. What he did on the cross, it's now empty. Because he's resurrected, he's alive. The cross is empty. But what happened on the cross is something that we should ponder and think about frequently. And not the pain and suffering physically, although that can be certainly part of your reflection, but the reality of the agony. My God, my God, why hast Thou forsaken me? And the darkness that He was in as He paid the price. In those final words in the cross, it is finished. Saying the work is complete. He gave up his breath, his last breath. Spirit into the heaven, into the, to the Father. And he was dead. Jesus was dead. To the tomb. Three days later, he's alive. The Christ has come. He's, he is the Messiah. He is the anointed one. He is there. He is alive. 
He did the work on the cross. It is finished. The cross is empty because He is alive. What a powerful picture we have. And again, it says we're to rejoice in this glory, in the glory of all of this. And so I want to encourage you today as we go to communion, think about this idea of rejoicing through what Christ has done. Not just contemplating, you know, sometimes it can be so maudlin and, 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 and kind of almost grievous, uh, you know, through communion, but it's a sense of rejoicing as well. Because we know that he had victory through that death that now is our victory through death. What an awesome picture. We rest with assurance in that. We have that hope and it will not put us to shame. I ask the ushers to come forward and pass out the uh, communion. Hold it until we've all been served and we'll share together.